1: On today's episode, I have the wonderful, the beautiful, and the ever-so-intelligent Connor Mueller Edelbrock. (laughs) There's been no official name change yet, so (laughs) it is what it is currently. How are you, Connor?
2: I'm I'm good.
1: We are experiencing uh, a large snowfall today here in northern Michigan, and... We had some lunch with some friends today and we Mm -hmm. are enjoying our day. So it's been good. Speaking of lunch and speaking of enjoying the day, we're going to talk about calories today. And I think on the surface, calories is going to come across as kind of a boring subject. But for those of you who listen, who are health focused, I guarantee at some point or another, you have tracked calories or you are currently tracking calories. And probably you've never asked yourself the question of why. And everyone listening has definitely looked at the back of a box or whatever when you're at the grocery store and looked at nutrition facts and seen how many calories are in a serving. So we're going to talk a little bit about calories and why or why not they might be so important. So we're going to start off with a really basic, simple question. What are calories?
2: Yeah. I think most people know that calories are a unit of measurement and yeah, like you said, you find them on almost every food product that you would buy at a grocery store. It's, it's a unit that's used to measure energy specifically in food. Mm -hmm. And so when you hear something has a hundred calories, It's a way of describing how much energy your body could get from eating or drinking that thing, whatever it is.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So that doesn't take into account any nutritional benefits or food quality or it's just pure caloric energy that somebody decided along the way was going to be turned into energy.
2: Yeah, In, in theory... It's the amount of energy that your body would take and use from whatever you're ingesting, in theory. Mm-hmm.
1: In theory. Yes. And I think it's it's interesting because there's the, the, like our BMRs, our basal metabolic rates, are how many calories our body, it's a rough estimation of what our bodies oh. might burn if mm-hmm. we just lay on the couch all day. This is different from that. This is talking about the food, the calories that's coming from the food that we were, that we eat right like they're the same unit of measurement but it's still it's different at the same time you see what i'm saying
2: yeah and i i'm actually i'm glad you brought up this idea of bmr your basal metabolic rate because we do we measure that in the amount of calories your body is burning at rest again in theory it's right Most people think these things are an exact science and it's not, it's not an exact science. It's a lot of estimating, which is tough to do. It's really tough to do. And we're also not comprehending how sophisticated our bodies are and our metabolic processes are. And so it's really tough. It's really tough to say, so just going back to like the bmr idea yeah it is it's using calories but it's all an estimation right? you know i think you said what's your bmr 25
1: Uh, yeah it's around 25 2500
2: yeah and you know there's there's probably an equation that was used based on height weight lean body mass muscle mass at the end of the day, we don't really know. We don't really know. Right. And I would guess the range of error on that equation is pretty wide.
1: Right. I would agree. So there's a lot to calories. Yeah. Is, is what you're saying. There's a lot. Yeah. there. There's more than we might know. But what we're going to kind of focus on is counting calories and how it applies to the weight loss game. And so where did the idea of counting calories and weight loss come from?
2: I think the most interesting part of if you look at the history of the calorie is it doesn't come from the field of health and nutrition, it comes from Mm. physics and engineering. So calories were introduced or invented in the 1800s as this unit of measurement used in, in those fields, physics and engineering. Mm -hmm. And it's, I had to write this down, but the definition of what a calorie is, is it's the amount of heat needed to raise the temperature of one kilogram of water by one degree Celsius. Mm -hmm. So I, I say that just to say, has nothing to do with nutrition, right? It, it has literally to makes do with no food.
1: sense when you think of nutrition. <laughs>
2: exactly, it has absolutely nothing to do with food. So mm-hmm. it the, the idea of a calorie kind of entered into society in 1918. Um, this author named Lulu Hunt Peters published a, a nutrition bestseller and it was called Diet and Health with the key to the calories. And it was the very first time in history where we started to see food as a number. So instead of saying, I ate one slice of bread, you started saying Uh, I ate a hundred calories of bread. Sure. So it was, it was this, this big shift in our society at the time
1: because you go from you know you have this piece of meat or i'm let's think of like more processed foods like a can of beans they mm-hmm. go into the yeah. store and instead of you say i'm gonna ha- i'm eating some some beans i'm eating a can of beans for my lunch today it turned into well i'm actually consuming 400 calories worth of beans today which seems again it seems it's just interesting how it went from food as a as a thing to food as a number so yeah go yeah go Mm -hmm. ahead
2: well I was also thinking about the time period that this book came out in so 1918 what is is that world world war one
1: yeah it's near the end of world war one
2: Yeah, so this idea of food rationing was also really big at the time. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that those two things kind of go hand in hand. Because the whole idea of this book or a big component of this book that was published was, you know, decreasing your intake of calories. So not only measuring your food with calories, but also saying that the answer to You know, weight loss is counting these calories.
1: Because at that time, America was experiencing a pretty big transition from like a more rural agricultural hard work existence to people were living more in cities. They were sitting at desks more. They weren't Mm -hmm. as active. Like gyms started to become a thing. And then enter into, well, now we're going to keep track of uh, your food, your food intake. And you can... Mm -hmm track your calories right which somehow relates to you know weight loss yes so what other problems we uh, okay so that was the rough start of Mm -hmm. and obviously there's been you know tons of different things that have come up uh come out of calories on as far as the fda and all these these other entities because for a while you know calories weren't listed on food packages now they are on every food package for the mm-hmm. most part. So in 2022, what what problems exist with calorie counting?
2: Yeah, I think I think the biggest problem not the biggest problem, but one of the problems is how calories are actually measured and we kind of wanna question, okay, how how accurate is this process of measuring the calories? So, and that, that method has changed, how we determine how many calories are in something. So that original method had to do with the whole definition of what a calorie is, Yeah, of raising the temperature of water by one degree Celsius So the original method for measuring calories is the food was placed in this sealed container that was surrounded by water and it was placed inside this apparatus called a bomb calorimeter. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds made
1: up. That's not real. (laughs) Yeah.
2: It's this made up machine and the food was completely burned. It was set on fire and the resulting rise yeah it's i I don't really know how it was burned but they basically Hmm. would burn the food item and the resulting rise in water temperature was measured Ah. and then that's what produced the calorie content of the food so
1: seems highly accurate
2: (laughs) right right it's i i mean it's interesting whether whether it's accurate or not the whole idea is this this apparatus this bomb calorimeter calorimeter calorimeter
1: (laughs) kilometer kilometer
2: (laughs) this this thing this machine it's not your body it's not your digestive system it has it doesn't know your microbiome it doesn't know your hormones Your body is more sophisticated than this machine, in my opinion. Yeah. So right there, I look at that and think, well, a machine is lighting my food on fire and measuring the calories based on the temperature change in the water. You know, that food, when I'm ingesting it, a way different process is happening Mm -hmm. inside my body. Mm -hmm. So I think. I think that method is a little sketchy. We don't, we don't use that method anymore. That was, yeah. that was the original method that was used. So when you, when you were talking about, you know, now we see calories on every, every piece of packaged food out there. Mm-hmm. And that was actually pretty recent. I mean, it wasn't until 1990 that the nutrition labeling education act came out oh, where they started. Okay printing all of the nutrition facts and putting them on everything. And so the system that we use now or since that act came out is called the Atwater system. So again, it's, it's an estimation. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an estimation that's calculated by the individual nutrients that's contained in the foods. So I think I think some people might be familiar with the idea that there's calories in protein, in carbohydrates, in fat. In fact, there's four calories per gram of protein. There's four calories per gram of carbohydrate. There's nine calories per gram for fat. Yep. So knowing that and knowing those macronutrients we now calculate the calories of a cookie based mm-hmm. on how many grams of protein, carbohydrates and fat are in that cookie. So again it's it's an estimation.
1: And who does these estimations these days?
2: Oh, that's Is it a the good FDA? question. No, um man, I might have to look this up. I think food companies are the ones that report the nutrition facts to the FDA for approval. I might be wrong on that, though.
1: We so can, we can do some fact finding on it.
2: Yeah, it's the reason I say that is really I think the, the FDA basically just says you know approved or not approved but even the fda only requires nutrition labels to be accurate within 20 percent so companies can you know report to the fda you know there's 500 calories in this cookie that we're making you know when we've when we've Tested the cookie and measured the ingredients in the cookie. You know, sometimes it's four fifty, sometimes right. it's five fifty, sometimes it's whatever. You know, the FDA doesn't really care. I mean, they care, but it it doesn't have to so be. A,
1: a quick internet search because Google, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Google is our friend. Google is our friend. The calories listed on labels come straight from the manufacturers of the food yeah. and okay. are regulated by the FDA. But the agency allows for a 20% margin of error because of Mm -hmm. this, the the caloric content of foods is often higher than labeled yet still within FDA limits, which we just were talking about this when we were talking about food tracking, um, how I was like, well, food tracking has a lot of benefits because Mm. when I first started out and I was, you know, getting on the bandwagon, uh, Food tracking was really important for me, but um, I'd also tracked food many times before and it didn't. It wasn't all that helpful and I fell off the wagon. Uh, I was advocating for food tracking, at least at some point in your fitness journey, being a helpful tool. Yeah. I didn't know that there was this gray area where the FDA was like, well, there's going to be some margin of error because it... Uh, there's no 100% accurate way to measure the amount of calories within a food item. And so right. n- now, we with in the age of highly processed foods in every supermarket and grocery store in the country, we food tracking maybe isn't quite as reliable because I could have a day where I'm like, man, I did really good today. I only ate 2,300 calories or whatever, but... That, there's a twenty percent margin of error within that and what's you know twenty percent added on to twenty three hundred that's a lot that yeah, you know, that not, puts you in that and then that puts you in a surplus and that, that's every day and every day and every day and every day so food tracking yeah. is a good place to start maybe um yeah. but maybe an even better what's any yeah so what's an even so better hang, place to start
2: so hang on okay so the FDA only requires you know, a nutritional, these nutrition fracks to be accurate within 20%. Yeah. It's also been researched and studied that most people underestimate how much they're eating.
1: Oh, with, if they're, it's like if when they're you eat a, their... you like eat a tablespoon of peanut butter, but it's actually like a giant spoonful yeah. of peanut butter. It's like, yeah, I most, had one tablespoon. <laughs>
2: exactly. Most people underestimate their calories. Most people underestimate their calories by up to 40%. Mm. So really, accuracy is a big issue. And I know there's people out there that's saying, well, will I use a food scale or I use measuring cups. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's going to increase your accuracy. But I So what think- you're saying
1: is uh, that with a 20% up to 20% margin of error just with the food labeling, and then on top of that, People's margin of error, which you exactly. said is like, what'd you say, 40%? It's yeah. Like
2: they're
1: underestimating by about they're 40%. They're underestimating, yeah. Which that, so that's, a, that's potentially a 60% yeah. uh, margin of error with your food tracking. And there maybe there's a good reason if you're not losing weight and you're tracking. Yeah. It and then maybe that's why.
2: <laughs> so here's the thing. This... So, we, we've kind of talked about this isn't an exact science. People would like to believe that calorie counting is an exact science. It's like, not. What's in
1: my fitness pal is, is law.
2: Exactly. Also, calorie burn is not an exact science. So, you kind of oh, mentioned, yeah. you know, well, I counted my calories so that I, w- that I would be in a deficit instead of a surplus. Again, we're kind of estimating, we don't really know. We don't know right. how many calories you burned playing basketball or. It's taking like yeah, I was gonna. Or... I was just
1: gonna say that when you when your Apple Watch tells you that you burned a thousand calories or two hundred calories in a workout, that's right. not. I don't know what the margin of error is on that, but it's not. I would guarantee it's not one hundred percent. It's probably it's, not even ninety percent.
2: <laughs> yeah. Again, it's not. It's it's scientific, but it's not, it's, it's all a guess. It's based on averages and estimations, but this idea of, you know, calories being inaccurate goes beyond, you know, how, how it's originally measured and how the FDA is reporting it and all of that. It's, it, it goes, it goes beyond that because there's so many other things that are happening in your body when you're eating the food that's impacting you know the energy that we're taking from the food right so i mean even even things like the cooking methods that you're using are going to interfere with the calories in that food or the energy that's coming from that food
1: yeah it changes the chemistry of the food
2: the well, and the entire act of digestion. So, when we talk about digestion, we're talking about you know, chewing, swallowing, producing enzymes and stomach acids, and actually pushing the food through your digestive tract. There's a significant amount of calories that your body uses to extract the calories in the food you just ate. So -hmm. your body is burning energy to extract energy from the food that you're taking in. And that's not taken into account. So different, different macronutrients are digested in the body differently. So a good example of this is protein. And you may have heard of this, but protein takes the most energy to digest. So there's there's this um, thermic effect of food where with protein, approximately 20 to 30 percent of the total calories in that protein you eat goes into digestion. Your okay. body has to work really hard to extract energy from that piece of meat that you just ate. So when when we're tallying up our our calories or tracking in my fitness pal, yeah, we're not saying, oh, I had a turkey sandwich, my body, I can deduct 30% of that deli meat because my body used that energy oh, sure. to digest it. So yeah. it's not really hanging out in my system. You know, <laughs> we don't really know we don't really know. Yeah. Um and I think I think we're kind of getting to the point where, okay, like, what would you do instead? And I think we talk about food quality a lot. And food type matters, food type matters in this whole concept of calories, and the energy that we're actually getting from food. And there's been studies done, there was a there was a really cool study that I read in the Journal of Food and Nutrition Research. it was it was comparing this idea of okay you know the calories in processed food and comparing that to whole food so what they did in this study is they were looking at the the calorie absorption from a whole food sandwich versus a processed food sandwich yeah and so the calories on the outside were about the same. So like we'll say, you know, each sandwich, one was a whole food, made with whole foods, one was processed. Each sandwich was the same amount of calories. What they found is that eating the processed food sandwich led to a 50% reduction in the calorie burn after the meal was consumed compared to eating the whole food sandwich. Interesting. So what that means is these sandwiches on the outside are the same calories they're each 300 calories when i ate the processed sandwich it actually led to more calories being stored being stored Mm. so when i'm eating processed foods my body tends to store more calories versus eating unprocessed foods my body tends to you know take that energy it's easier to absorb it's easier to use so that also gets lost that that gets lost in this idea
1: i think a lot of times the the conversation is always about calories and Mm -hmm. it's not i hear that a lot especially from a lot of online fitness coaches like on instagram they they talk about calories they talk about uh just being a calorie deficit or a surplus or whatever. But the conversation that doesn't get had enough is the quality of your calories. So like you're talking about the sandwich, the sandwich example is a perfect example of that. A steak that you get that's raised, you know, in a, on a normal cattle farm with millions of cows and they're rolling around in their own shit and their life sucks compared to a steak, that's grass-fed, grass-finished, pastured its entire life, and then, you know, slaughtered humanely. There's, I mean, there's scientific studies. There are more yeah. nutrients and minerals in that type of meat than there are in the, the, you know, you go to Walmart or Meyer or whatever and just buy whatever the meat is in the meat section. It looks but different. It, and, it and it looks, looks different.
2: different. It tastes the pork, different.
1: like pastured uh, pork that's allowed to like freely graze and dig up roots and eat dirt and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, that pork, it's, it's more rich and red because there's more minerals. There's more nutrients. There's more iron in the meat itself. Uh, we're going to have somebody on in a couple weeks that's going to be able to really shed some light on this subject. But saying all that to say, the big thing that comes up with that is, well, it's so much more expensive to eat Mm -hmm. these more high quality foods. And I don't know that it is. At this point, going to a local food source, so finding a local farmer who pasture raises meat, Mm
0: -hmm. I would
1: say is as expensive as... Going to the store, buying your chicken and meat and, and beef and whatever from just the you know the meat aisle in Walmart or Meijer, mm-hmm. um, but the food is exponentially higher quality. It interacts right. with your body and like at a at a uh, molecular megal- molecular level much differently than the store bought stuff. And you get it's just better for you. It's better for the environment as well. So. That yeah. What I'm trying to say is that conversation about what's well, more expensive. Maybe sometimes it is. Like if you're really like if you go to if you go to Whole Foods and you get your organic wild caught salmon whatever and you know all of that it might be but if you find some local sources it's the the costs offset a little bit. And also yeah. we've talked about this your favorite thing is talking about the cost what's the cost of your health mhm i mean what at what point do you decide my health is worth this i don't want to get alzheimer's or cancer when i'm 70 mm-hmm. i don't want to get cancer before that so at what point is these higher quality foods fruits vegetables meats you know worth it
2: yeah i i think it's i think it's a fair point it's a fair argument you know, money factors into all of this and you can, you can go to the store. Actually, I don't know if you can anymore with inflation, but you used to be able to go to the store and buy 99 cent eggs. And if we get them from our farmer, what are they? $2.50, $3 $3 a dozen. That's diff. That's a big difference. It is ninety ninety nine 99 cents, $3. That's a big difference. So I think I, I agree. It can be, To an an extent,
1: yes, absolutely. To
2: eat healthier. But just like you said, you know, there are the food is interacting in your body differently on a cellular level. It's interacting with your hormones a little bit differently. To me, that's worth it. Mm -hmm. And I always recommend for people that are on a budget, and we are on a budget, people, you know.
1: We are. We budget. We budget.
2: (laughs) But for other people who say, you know, I just can't afford, you know, the grass fed meat that's higher quality, I always recommend buy the highest quality that you can afford. Right. So maybe if you can't afford the $3 eggs that we like to get, instead of buying the 99 cent eggs, maybe buy, you know, the one that's. $1.50 a dollar 50 in between yeah yeah so just kind of start to make your way up on that spectrum knowing the more that you pay the quality is hopefully going to be a little bit better
1: yeah but and find like i said find local sources because we go to the the health food store here in town and they've got little pull tabs of people that are selling eggs and yeah. whole milk share or like raw yeah. milk shares and stuff like that and the eggs are cheaper there then the, the so you go to the store and buy free range organic uh, even pasture raised chicken eggs you know those are five dollars a dozen a lot of times uh, or more but if you go to these little sort of mom and pop they're just they got some chickens in their backyard and they graze right. and they do their thing you can a lot of times get those for like two two, $2. fifty especially yeah. if you buy them in bulk so there's a lot I'd- of alternatives to the grocery store as well when you're looking for some of this stuff.
2: Yeah, the whole the whole point here is we're saying, okay, counting calories, and this might be a good conversation to have is, is there value in counting calories? Mm -hmm. We are trying to make the point that food quality matters. Mm -hmm. Your food quality matters a lot. A lot more than it
1: gets talked about
2: yeah, because it's, it's all about how this food is interacting in your body. Yeah. But besides that, you know, before we got on, we were saying, okay, is, is there value in counting calories? And you said, you know what? I, I think there is. And I think if you would have asked me, is there value in counting calories? If you asked me two or three years ago, I would have said 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100% because probably for the same reason that you would say, there's value in it. So what is the, what is the value in cal- counting calories?
1: For me, it was getting a picture, a more clear picture of what a day looked like. So before I was really dialing in some of my food choices, it was like, mm-hmm. if I track every single thing that I put into my mouth today, where about calorie wise am I? Because mm-hmm. especially at that point, those days were pretty consistent. So Mm -hmm. I could extrapolate if on this day I had 3,500 calories and it was a pretty normal day, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, that was a pattern. So then I Mm -hmm. could trend in a lower – or, you know, I could trend downwards. And then – but now I think the way – like where we're at now – I don't track anymore uh, partially because I sort of know what the day looks like, but um, we've moved towards less processed foods. We've like more natural foods. You don't have, you just don't have to track them as much. And we, we made the, we kind of made the joke like when's the last time you've heard of someone overeating on carrots and chicken. Right. <laughs> like never. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know how to pose this question because I was thinking about that too. You know, two, three years ago, I was counting calories and macros and...
1: Yeah. It was um, like a religious practice for us.
2: Yeah, and if you think about it, it's not not really something I want to do forever. I don't really want to count every meal and weigh on a food scale. And it doesn't really work in your real life. When you're going out for brunch, when you're having lunch at somebody's house, you don't really know when you're traveling. How am I supposed to track
1: like French toast from whatever restaurant we were at?
2: Yeah. So I think it's I think it's really tough in your real life when you're not counting weighing and measuring and you have all of this control and everything exists in a vacuum it doesn't really work so i think long term it doesn't work and i think for me thinking back on it my gut my my reaction was well yeah there's value in counting calories but then i kind of questioned that and think, and maybe I'll pose this question to you. So, okay. How many years ago did you start counting in my fitness pal?
1: Well, when I first started counting, it was like 2012, okay. but like actually counting and being consistent with it was like 2019.
2: Okay. Even in 2012, when you were just kind of starting to say, I'm going <clears> to <throat> kind of think about my intake. And you're kind of thinking of about this idea of like creating a deficit. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's other, there's other issues that go into creating a deficit because if you restrict your calories, your, again, our bodies are really sophisticated. There's something called metabolic adaptation. So if I give my body 12,000 calories a day, initially i might start losing weight on the scale right i might be losing muscle i don't know but i'm losing weight i only care about the scale so i'm happy you know my body learns pretty quickly that it's only getting 1200 calories a day and so it adjusts Mm -hmm. our bodies are really good at adapting to what you give them and it's going to adjust and it's going to downregulate your metabolism so that your body starts operating off of 1200 calories a day. Right. So now I'm in a predicament where I'm thinking, well, shit, I'm not losing weight anymore. I, I guess I have to eat less. (laughs) Yeah, I have to eat less. So now I'm going to eat 800 calories.
1: And Maybe you lose a little more weight
2: and maybe I lose a little bit more weight, but then at some point that metabolic adaptation is going to eat anything ever again so well this goes this fits in with the argument of we can also look at it from a different perspective so let's think of olympic athletes and let's think of professional cyclists and let's think about these ultra marathon runners if you put a heart rate monitor on these people and follow them through training or follow them at, through an ultra marathon, you know, how many calories are they burning in, in, in their training day? So let's say like you have this cyclist and he's in the peak season of training. He's out there burning how many calories? Thousands. Like, yeah. So Okay, factor in his BMR, like if his BMR is, you know, I don't know.
1: 2,000.
2: 2,000 calories. And then he goes out on all these bike rides and he's burning additional 500 calories. So that means he's got to eat, you know, at least 7,000 calories. He probably should eat 8,000 calories a day. Like when you start doing that math, it doesn't right. work. Because the facts are this person is not eating 8,000 calories a day. To sustain their BMR, their muscle, their training loads. Yeah. It doesn't add up. Right. It doesn't add up. And is this person wasting away? Does this person waste away to nothing? No, because their body adapts. Their body's really mm. good at adapting, really good at protecting them, really good at holding on to muscle mass. And so it's interesting when you think about it that way. Especially when you're giving
1: the your body the right the right things, the right building blocks, it makes a big difference.
2: Yeah, and I'm I think I'm just saying that to make a point where there are these ultra marathon runners who are You got Michael Phelps who
1: needs to eat ten thousand calories a day.
2: Exactly. And bottom line is he's not. And he's not wasting away to nothing. Right. And so it's just to prove the point that like, the whole idea of calories in, calories out, it just gets disproven over and over again. And so going back to this idea, okay, is there a better way? So in 2012, 2018, when you started to track your calories, let's imagine you're at a crossroads. So there's, there's two, it's a sliding doors moment. There's Corey one who decides I'm going to track calories and I'm going to go down this path of creating a calorie deficit. And then there's Corey two who, you know, he decides, no, I'm not going to count calories. I'm going to pay attention to food quality. I'm going to learn mindful eating and intuitive eating. I'm going to pay attention to my hunger and fullness cues. I'm going to focus on sleep. I'm going to focus on-
1: Water intake. Gut,
2: water intake. I'm going to focus on gut health, eating you know prebiotics and probiotic foods. I'm going to focus on- nutrients, nutrient densities. I'm going to make sure the bulk of my food is coming from plants. You know, so I'm just, just imagine these two Corys at this sliding doors moment, going down this crossroad. You know, I just wonder where the other quarry would be. And I wonder this about myself too, because I think of the calorie tracking and the macro tracking that I did and how fucked up my relationship with food was because of it,
1: bringing your food because, scale around weighing stuff. And
2: I mean, it just, it created a lot of, um, it created a lot of disordered eating patterns. It created yeah. this feeling of it triggered a lot of like restriction and binge cycles. Yep. I yo-yoed all over the place. I had so much you know, stress and anxiety around travel and eating out because food was outside of my control.
1: Or like, when can I have a cheat day? I need yeah, to have a cheat day.
2: And you start thinking, you put foods in these categories of good and bad, and I can't have that, but I can have this, like this food is safe, that food is bad. Yeah. Um, and so I just think of like the head game that it played versus if a long time ago, if I just learned mindful eating practices and food quality and, you know, really easy things, we're talking about yeah. like sitting at a table, eating slowly, chewing your food, learning to chew. Which tune we struggle into. with all the
1: time, but like we're not coming from a place of it's like we do this every day and we're no, really we good at do it. Like, <laughs> it's a constant battle for us to, yeah. to try to eat slowly and try to, you know, we, Cause me and you both, we can shovel it in.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I like to put the, I like to put the feed bag on like anybody else does. Yeah, you know, because sometimes that feels good. But there's this they've just they've done so much research and studying into diets, specific specifically calorie restricted dieting, and now they're saying being on a calorie restricted diet is actually a better indicator that you're going to gain weight later on. Mm-hmm. So think about that. Me counting calories, restricting my intake and being really diligent and creating all of this stress and you know disordered eating stuff that's happening, It might give me short term gains. Yeah. With all of the mental shit that goes along with that. Yeah. But it's actually a better predictor of I'm going to cycle. I'm going to binge. I'm going to, I'm actually going to gain weight down the road because I'm not really tuning into how to nourish myself with nutrient dense foods. You know, it's just, it, it seems like yeah, calories just don't seem like the way to go anymore.
1: I think something that really helped me fix some of my relationships with food was like, we, we talk about Ben Bergeron pretty regularly. He has a quote from uh, a writer, Michael Poland. And like it's basic, it's basic rules for eating. So number one is choosing food over food, like substances. So the majority of the food in the American diet is not food. It's a food-like substance. It's chemically engineered. It's highly processed. So the quote is very simple. And it's, eat real food, mostly plants, and not too much. And that really changed my attitude and perspective on food. Because it was like, yeah, if you eat whole foods, and most of it is plants, based like and you can eat meat eat meat but most of it is plant-based so you have a steak and then a giant side of greens or whatever you're going to have a hard time overeating on that stuff and you're going to lose weight and you're going to get healthier because that's you're eating real food you're eating mostly Mm -hmm. plants and you're not eating too much of it and that's not to say you can't go and have cookies and have some ice cream but make that the minority of the time where you do those things and mm-hmm. that helped me. Cause I've just like you had a really rough history with my relationship with food, binge eating and good and bad and demonizing things and, and whatever. And so understanding that I can still have the foods that I want just less of the time helps a lot. Yeah. Like I, I, we can have that food, And still lose weight and still be healthy. Just have it less. And then especially when you throw in like, oh, we're making we're having pizza, but we're making it at home and we're making it with wholesome ingredients and, you know, organic ingredients and whatever. That feels Mm -hmm. a whole heck of a lot better than eating Pizza Hut or whatever.
2: Yeah. Um, I like this idea. Mm -hmm.
1: Go ahead. No, go ahead.
2: I like this idea that you're talking about of. It's, it sounds really counterintuitive to dieting, which is why I like it. The philosophy that I like to adopt, or at least the way I like to think about food in my own mind is eat in abundance, eat in abundance, Yeah. eat in abundance of plants, fruits, nutrient dense foods, thinking about food that way as, oh, I can eat a lot of food I can eat in abundance just feels better Mm -hmm. and it's almost if you stopped restricting something and you stop counting things and you stop trying to live in a calorie deficit you just feel this weight lift has been lifted yeah, and it feels very freeing and it feels sane. It feels sane. So I want to live a life where I feel fully in control and at peace with my food choices Mm -hmm. in any situation. And I know that if I choose to eat whole, unprocessed foods, I can eat in abundance and that feels good to me.
1: And your body will tell you, even if you're eating those things, And maybe you're eating too much of it. Your body will tell you you won't you won't feel Mm -hmm. great or your weight will go up. Your clothes won't fit as well. That's I mean, that's how people used to determine, you know, what their weight was because their pants Mm -hmm. didn't fit anymore. Right. So this it's it's so against and backwards of what we've been raised on for the last I don't what do you 40 years diet culture maybe it maybe started in the 70s the 60s even I don't like with housewives maybe <laughs> I don't know anyway um it just goes so against that and it's really hard to break that it's still hard for us we we struggle with that sometimes too I think about it not weekly but like maybe once a month I'm like I should start tracking again
2: Yeah you feel because that whole It's like
1: a comfort zone it's like almost it's yeah. like an unhealthy comfort zone <laughs> yeah Um, and it's it goes back
2: to that question it goes back to the question of okay is there value in tracking i would say there's value in tracking not to track calories i think there's value in tracking in just to bring more awareness to what you're eating Because I think if most people just carried around a pen and a paper not to oh, track I see.
1: Yeah. You know, how it's many like,
2: calories you're eating is just yeah. to track, okay, breakfast, I went through the drive-thru at McDonald's and then right. I went to Starbucks. And then, and then for I a had
1: snack, a, I had four bowls of Captain Crunch. <laughs> exactly.
2: I think if people just started there, just yeah. what are point. you eating and then kind of start to revamp those things. The calories will start to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. But honestly, we we did just fine as a society before the whole calorie idea was introduced. And now there's just really good science coming out about, you know, how different foods impact us on a hormonal level impact us on a cellular level impact our gut microbiome pay attention to that Mm -hmm. because that is where health and longevity is is going to be for you
1: yeah yeah i think that's a good place to put a bow on this uh listen to your body eat whole foods if you have any questions reach out to us our Instagram page, Facebook page. Uh our email is at weeklywarriorpodcast Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, more than happy to answer any questions. And if you do have questions while you're at it, please leave us a rating and a review on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That really helps our visibility so we can be uh we can get some new listeners up in this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, share with a friend or family member. That's the really the best way to get the message out about these things is sharing with a friend or family member and do these things. That's the do these things. People are going to start asking you questions about your lifestyle when you start doing some different stuff that goes against the status quo. And that's the best way to fight against the uh, some of the preconceived notions. So do this stuff. And uh, if you have any questions, let us know. We're here for you. Well, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget to discover your warrior within